Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So it's October still, if you did not know, I guess, well, I mean, it depends on when you're listening to this episode, but if you're listening the day that it comes out or maybe a couple days later, it, it is October, which means that it's spooky heresy month. Uh, you know, nothing but heresy all month long, except maybe right at the end, uh, hint, hint. But uh, just like last year, if you were around uh, in 2020, we did a, a heresy month where we looked at things like Gnosticism and Christological heresies. Uh, well, we're, we're kicking it back. Uh, we're bringing it back here to 2021, and we're talking about heresy still. Um, so today, specifically, we're talking about a heresy known as Donatism, I believe is how you would pronounce it, uh, maybe Donatism. Uh, but this, this heresy is, uh, like many of the others we've talked about, uh, an older one. Uh, it's one that's a little like complex. Uh, not much is known about some of its origins, um, but it does crop up throughout church history from time to time. So we thought it'd be fun to explore it and, and, and do a little dive. So uh, Lucas, is there anything that you want to say here on the front end? Any definitions, any background that you want to give? Uh. I don't know about background, but maybe we could just kind of like jump in. Uh, so like you said, we're talking about another older heresy. Um, this is a little a little bit later than last week when we talked about Pelagianism. We're talking about the late 4th and early 5th century, more or less. So like we talked a little bit about Augustine being sort of like the main Orthodox Catholic, you know, representative fighting against Pelagianism. Um and this is sort of the, the other thing that he's known for kind of fighting against. And actually, I think I, I think I might have misspoken. I think Pelagianism is actually a little bit shorter than or later than Donatism. I think I got those mixed up. But point being, um, Augustine has writings that are that are that are remembered for his anti-Pelagianism, but he also has anti-Donatist writings. He kind of as a Western, you know, Latin speaking, North African bishop, he was sort of at the crossroads of, you know, both the Pelagian controversy, which we covered last week, as well as the Donatist controversy, which we're getting into today. So that's sort of the, the general, you know, if, if you picture in your mind, the general timeline of, of church history, of trying to situate what's going on theologically, you know, we can kind of think of it here, so we're 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 past Nicaea, we're past Constantinople one. We've we've got the Trinity down. Um, we ha have not gotten to Ephesus and um, Chalcedon yet. Um, I, I never say Chalcedon. I don't know why I just said it that way. I always say Chalcedon, but whatever. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of where where we're at historically. That's kind of what 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 we're you know where we're going, um, and. As far as like, what's the gist, right? We can maybe most effectively start the conversation by giving kind of an overview. So basically the, the sort of central idea, the main foundational idea is that the church is a pure, we could say, maybe we could say perfected um, society or group or organization. 
right? Um, and that has, you know, it sounds very simple. It sounds maybe even good on the surface and it sounds, you know, <laughs> maybe not significant enough to warrant there being a whole heresy <laughs> um, named after it or, or remembered for this idea, but it has some pretty bad implications as well, well you know, I guess, you know, where it's not really a spoiler that we disagree <laughs> with, with the conclusions of the Donatists since we're talking about it during this <laughs> heresy month, but you get, you get where I'm going. There's, there are implications of this that when we start to tease out what it means to believe that the church must be and is, in the truest sense, a completely pure church, um, and what that means when we start running into certain issues where purity it maybe needs to be questioned or examined, we, we'll start to see as we get into it what those issues are. But that's sort of what I see as the main underlying issue. I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd, you'd maybe want to add or, or say differently than that. No, no, that's, that's good. I, I mean, my only other contribution was just going to be to continue sort of defining what characterized Donatism. Um, I mean, as we said, this, this sort of began in North Africa um, a lot of the, the people that were big and influential, uh, they taught that Christians were called to, uh, you know, personal purity, holiness, and that those things proved one's faithfulness, um, especially as you were enduring persecution. Um, so as we've, as maybe if you, if you, I guess if you're familiar or if you're not, uh, much of the early church faced like significant and real persecution, um, much like you know, the church does today, maybe not in the West, uh, but in other parts of the world, the church does still face persecution. Um, and so to the Donatist, those whose faith wavered under the threat of death, under the threat of persecution, um, were said to be impure and not worthy of being members of the church. Um, so, you know, if you're going if, if to, if, if your faith's going to waver, uh, even under the most intense persecution, um, Again, in the Donatist mind, you 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 had to sort of think twice about your your faith, and so um, they considered themselves as the only one true church. Those who held strong during the persecution, and they they really, as we're going to come to find out, they refused to acknowledge um, even the ordinances that were administered in other churches. So, uh, if you were a part of a church that had people whose faith wavered during persecution, uh, and you're you know doing baptism in the Lord's Supper, they would say that. Those aren't valid, um, which brings up a whole host of problems, as we're going to maybe find out. Um, but what's very interesting, and, you know, <laughs> so last year when we did, um, last year when we did um, Nothing But Heresy, I think we did Gnosticism, uh, Word of Faith, Latter-day Saints, and Christological Heresies. And I remember, especially when we did Word of Faith, because it was like so recent and relevant and the people we were talking about were still alive like it felt kind of like weird um and part of that is like well is it heresy is it just like a completely other thing like what what is heresy and at least from this perspective like the donatists were i mean they were trying to be christians they were trying to be faithful they were trying to be biblical um and obviously as history sort of shows it, it is eventually labeled a heretical sect um, and so I don't know, I'm just, I'm always fascinated by the fact that like heresy isn't always just like this, like completely blatant, 
problematic, completely like alien teaching. Like I think in a lot of our minds, that's kind of how we think about heresy. It's like this big bad wolf that's like really clear and easy to identify. Um, but sometimes it's as simple as like, it starts with people who are trying to be faithful Christians, uh, persecution arises, some waver, some don't. And the ones that don't are like, we're, we're holding fast. We're, we're doing what Christ has commanded us to do. Whereas those other people, they're not. So they must not be Christians, right? Um, I think, it, you know, that's maybe like just the logical way to think about it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, is it, what, what else do you, what else do you think is appropriate to add here? I, I have more I could say, but I, I want to give you the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, definitely the heresy isn't wanting a morally upright church, right? I mean, we're all called to obey Christ, to, to follow his law and, and live out the faith that we confess. The heresy comes in when we start talking about those implications and the big the big sticking point is the sacraments like you said is what happens when someone who has fallen you know and, and specifically sort of the 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 broader historical context that this is coming out of is these debates that arise as a result of persecution the more narrow historical context is specifically the persecution under diocletian which was particularly nasty. If I recall right, it's like pretty much the last um, like major sort of empire-wide violent persecution against the church um, because I believe, I uh, can't remember. Maybe I'm wrong about that. The point being suffering under persecution, specifically um, a, you know, a, a period of persecution the church came through and some who had apostatized, especially bishops, especially leaders, teachers, the priests and the bishops of the faith, they, they fall away as a result of this persecution, but then they repent and they come back, right? They, they acknowledge their wrongdoing, they lament it, they confess, they um, are, are joined back into the church. That's the specific context of what do we do with these people? What do we do with their service to the church? What do we do? What, how do we analyze their faith? How do we know if the repentance is legitimate? How do we, what, what do we do, right? And that's the specific purity that's, that's in question. And the specific implications of that being, well, you know, this guy abandoned the faith. So he's not a worthy minister. So I have no, I, I can have no assurance that when he baptized me and when he, you know, gives me absolution and when he consecrates the bread and the wine, like I have no assurance that there's any grace in these sacraments. And now I'll take like sort of a sidebar pause here to say, um, in, you know, we, we, we have episodes talking about the sacraments and kind of delving into that and, and we can do more in the future, but we're, we're just going to be, <laughs> I'm just going to be assuming sort of the, the general position that the early church had, which was definitely sacramental, you know, wasn't a, a memorialist type view of things like baptism and the supper. So we're just going to go with that because otherwise Donatism makes no sense, but we don't have time to do a whole sacrament episode on top of this. So anyway, um, I, I, I can't trust that these sacraments are valid because this, this person is not worthy. This person is, and I'm not just saying that because I don't like him or I think that, you know, I'm holier than him. I'm saying that because he literally left the faith and abandoned the church and, 
and you know in in many cases sort of the like specific action like he handed over our holy books to be burned by those persecuting us right like um and now he's back here and and he's just gonna continue baptizing and and offering um the the lord's supper and things like that so again like being concerned with clerical holiness you know not just the church as a whole as a as a whole but also the you know those tasked with leading and preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments is obviously a good thing <laughs> i don't want my pastors to be um you know just to not have morals to not be faithfully you know striving for holiness but what is this what this leads to is a ref- you know those people are then rejected. They, they are then seen as no longer, um, they're not recognized as being part of the church because they have cut themselves off from the church. And despite the fact that they have come back in repentance and been restored, their sin demonstrates that they have left the church. And so we as the church cannot let them back in because to do so would compromise the church. So, that's the position of the Donatist, but since the position of the rest of the church is not going to recognize that, you then ha- you now have these two parallel churches, right? Where one of them is saying you're being you're being way too harsh. You're 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 not taking into account grace and repentance, um, and you need to stop, you know, cutting yourself off from the rest of us. And then the Donatist side is saying you're compromising. You, you, you don't have grace in your sacraments. You can't because, because you have allowed those back in who are, you know, have rejected the faith and, and, and are no longer worthy of, of being in the church. And then you have these, these two parallel churches. So obviously you have a very problematic scenario. <laughs> uh, even if the Donatist wound up being correct, you have this problem that needs to be addressed. And that's a lot of the controversy part of it in terms of, people like Augustine and and these different councils and stuff going back and forth and trying to figure out and hammer out what's the right answer. Are the Donatists right? Is the Catholic church right? And obviously the, the Donatists were, were ultimately found to, to not be right in terms of their, their theology and and their ecclesiology. And this is really maintained um, in something that comes from Augustine. It's, it's very, familiar to to you if you've read the 39 articles because there's a whole article on it that the worthiness of the minister is not the the sorry the the validity of a sacrament does not depend on the worthiness of a minister right um not that you can have people who just straight up reject the faith and that it's okay that they're ministers that's not what it's saying but if there is someone even as extreme as who just straight up rejects the faith, it's because it's the grace of God that, that is being communicated through the means of grace. That person's sinfulness doesn't invalidate that means of grace. It doesn't somehow negate the grace that's, that's being communicated because it's not the person's grace. It's not the person who's giving me grace. It's Christ through the means of his ministers. So that's, that's where the 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 sticky p- part comes in, right? Right. Because and we're I'm, not I'm, just talking about, yeah. No, I was gonna say I'm I'm reminded of like I, I'm I'm blanking on who it was specifically, but we did a Christian of history, where like when he was like a young boy, like a little kid, 
him and his friends were like quote unquote baptizing each other and like someone came over and was basically like well one don't do that anymore because like that's a valid baptism um Mm -hmm. so that that just is sort of like proving the point that you're trying to make is that it it's not the person per se who is doing it that is what makes the baptism or the lord's supper valid those things are are valid in that you know christ has instituted them and they're to be done in a certain manner um so yeah obviously we don't want children just baptizing each other we also don't want people who are not of the faith baptizing people and, and, and giving out the Lord's supper. Um, but the validity, the, the, I don't know another word other than validity, but like it, that is not dependent upon the person who is doing it. It is, a, it is dependent upon Christ instituting it and giving it to his church is what I'm trying right. to say. I was just thinking of like another yeah, example yeah, yeah, of yeah. this type of thing. Yeah. That's and all. some, a- some atheist priest or a five-year-old kid who, who is playing a game in their backyard with their friends those are maybe more like obvious examples of like, like they're more extreme, right? Where we can, we can all agree like, yeah, you know, like it's sure it doesn't, it's not, it's not, you know, up to him whether or not it's valid, but like if he's an atheist, he shouldn't be a priest. But what, where this really, where the rubber really hits the road is okay. But what about someone who is, who is a faithful Christian who has fallen into sin, Right who is fighting against sin, but, but it has, you know, as a human being has fallen into sin on Saturday night and then wakes up on Sunday and goes to admit, you know, is repentant, is grieved by their sin, uh, repents and, and, you know, confesses to, to, to those they've, they've sinned against or, or to a confessor or whatever comes to administer the Lord's supper. Um, We don't need to be afraid that on any given Sunday, if our pastor, you know, isn't isn't you know doing so hot that the grace of god has left our church building or whatever and to throw it back we don't you know the the those leaders in the church who who gave in to fear and cowardice and lack of faith and and compromised in the face of persecution obviously wrong sinful you know um a betrayal not just of Christ, but of other Christians. Uh, but the ones who, who came back to the faith, to the church in repentance and grief and sorrow, um, you, there, there's no sort of like, you know, they're not excluded from the church because they had their chance and they blew it, right? And that's where the Donatist error crosses over from just, you know, being a particularly uh rigorous christian into an error where you're saying you need to be perfect or else you're not the church right like you like it's pretty it's pretty significant um and not only significant but also problematic to to be to be judging you know that this church or that church or this person or that person um, due to sin, due to past sin in their life is, is, is no longer welcome in the church and not just no longer welcome in the church, but no longer really out outside the grace of God. Right. Um, which is where I think most of us would, would probably be able to start to see why this is such a problem. Um, maybe this, maybe we can get caught up in specific examples and be like, no, um, you know, if, if some bishop, 
you know, gave up on Christ in the face of persecution, uh, he, sh- he should no longer be a bishop. You know, he should be defrocked and he shouldn't be allowed to administer the sacraments or preach in churches anymore. Um, like maybe, maybe we could, maybe we could in those scenarios, think of things like that, those really egregious things. But, but what it, what it also comes down to is a question of, it's not just a question, like the base question is the purity of the church and where that comes from is a question over the grace of God, right? Because we're determining that this or that person or this or that sin cannot be redeemed by God's grace. Um, and, you know, in the, in the specific context of the Donatist controversy in the early church, um, that means that this section of the church has, has died, has been cut off, right? And you need to come to our church or else you're not, um, it, you know, you can have no confidence. You can have no trust that, that you're actually, um, you know, that you're actually in communion with Christ, you know, and, and ima- just imagine the insecurity and the, the burden of, of trying to figure that out for, for the faithful Christian, <laughs> you know, oh, is my pastor legitimate or not? I have no way of knowing that, you know, like it, there's, there's lots of problems and, I, and maybe I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm perhaps rambling and just kind of like saying things as they come to my mind. But um, I, th- I think that that helps to highlight some of the big problems, right? And the big, like I said in the beginning, those implications of this idea of what it, of a particular view of the purity and holiness of the church, that when you, when you let it play out, the implications are not very pleasant <laughs> um, hmm. and are just dangerous and, and yeah. ultimately lead, lead to something that, that the church cannot recognize and, and hence why it's on this list of heresies that we're pulling from for this month. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really enjoy heresy month. I mean, I know it's, Maybe that sounds kind of funky, but I, 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 some of these I maybe either learned about and have forgotten, or maybe never have learned about. So like, I just find it fascinating to to sort of do these little uh, semi deep dives into history and the church history, learning about you know Donatism. Obviously, Pelagianism is one I was familiar with, but the one that we're doing next week is one again that I, I think I'm unfamiliar with. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Um, but I think as we sort of like begin to descend out of this episode, uh, I found it really fascinating. So Donatism was, was condemned as a heresy. It was, it was, I think Augustine did a lot of really like foundational work in, in, in getting it to that point. Uh, but throughout church history, uh, the, the charge and the accusation of Donatism continued to crop up from time to time. Um, one example that I found in, in doing some reading was that um, like several like much later, we're talking like high middle ages, uh, reformation era. Basically there were accusations of Donatism that were leveled against the, the, the reform movement. Um, so we're talking about people like John Wycliffe, uh, Jean Hus, uh, I think both of which we've talked about. I know we've talked about Hus at least, but, um, they were accused of Donatism by their opponents. Um, so Wycliffe taught that the, the moral corruption of priests invalidated their offices and sacraments, which, as we've said, is a, is a belief characterizing Donatism. Um, and so that's, that's a really interesting thing um, when we start to get to the Reformation, where we look at the, the Catholic Church, when we look at the Reformers and the reform that is being done. And I, I say this as I'm like literally wearing a shirt with Wycliffe's name on it and Knox and Calvin and Luther. <laughs> um, but uh, it, 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 I wonder, um, 
you know, as, as the reformers began to do the work that they were doing, as they saw many of the problems with the Catholic church, what would have, you know, what would have these, what, what would these people say uh, of a, a Catholic priest who was performing, you know, the, the, the Eucharist? What, what do we say about uh, baptism within the Catholic church? Uh, maybe this even finds like relevance today. Like, I'm sure I know Protestants who think that like, the baptism of an infant in Catholicism isn't valid. Uh, so, so like, what do, what do we say of that? Is that like a, a Donatist view, semi-Donatism? Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that in just a second here. But um, similar to Wycliffe, Huss argued that a bishop's moral character um, basically determined his ecclesiastical authority, um, which, you know, played into that, this idea of Donatism too, where we were talking about the you know, these priests who had apostatized, who had come back, like, was their character, like, what should they be allowed to be priests or bishops or whatever position they're holding? Um, but I'm curious what you think about that little, that little caveat, like, especially as it pertains to the Reformation, as we had that divide between, you know, Catholic and Protestant, and as those d divides persist today, uh, what, what do we think? Do we, do we have some sort of sem semi-Donatism? Is it different? Is, what do you think? Yeah, it's actually, it, I'm really glad you brought this up because I was I was going to bring this up and I didn't look at your notes ahead of time, but um, it it's really, it, it, yeah, like it, I, I've always looked at Donatism as a really easy thing to parse out, as a really easy thing to reject uh, for a variety of reasons. Like it, like it just, it just, it, it, I think it is, you know, in itself, it's really easy to see the error. Um, and I think it's really easy to, to, I'm not saying in my own personal life that I'm not a judgmental holier than thou person at times and all that kind of thing, but it's really easy to recognize the fact that there, there are wheat and tares in the church, um, in this life, you know, like mm -hmm. that, like it's what Jesus says, you know what I mean? And, and to see how that, that, what that, what that brings to bear on Donatism per se, but, um, it is also true that I am fully convinced <laughs> that at a certain point in history, in a certain his, uh, uh, context, in a certain religious, you know, phase of the church, um, that what came to be a schism that has lasted the last 500 years and many schisms is, was needed. I'm not saying it was good to, to split, but I'm saying like there were abuses that needed to be a, to addressed and in the course of attempting to address them we wound up with with splits with schisms and that's based on not you know it's based on more than than judgments regarding the moral purity of the church but those were part of the abuses it was it was theological it was moral it was political it was sociological it was a lot of things right um and the other thing that came to my mind was fundamental you know, we we can think of like IFP preacher clips and like those kinds of churches, but um, also in a in a more in a more broad sense, the fundamentalism of a hundred years ago, um, and and in the, the the first half of the twentieth century, um, separation was a a a an intentional and a deliberate uh, part of the original fundamentalist movement in response to Protestant liberalism in in this country specifically. And there were disagreements among various strands of fundamentalism as to 
how separate you needed to be. Like there were certain fundamentalists who would separate meaning like completely reject, not have any fellowship or ministry with, um, there are certain fundamentalists who would who would separate themselves from other fundamentalists who they agreed with, but who weren't separating from other churches that they disagreed with. You know, I, I forget the, the terms, but I remember in, in a class I took on American Protestantism, like this this conversation around around how many degrees of separation is appropriate. And I think that there's a very strong case to be made that that is a form of Donatism. I, I like what you said earlier, uh, semi-Donatism. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard that that term before, but like, like you know, there's throughout throughout there there are there are a real historical group of people called the semi-Pelagians. Like, they're, they're like, and I don't know if there's a similar thing for Donatism, if if if, if that's ever been identified by theologians or church historians. But I do we think that it, we, we just gave it a title. We, we did, <laughs> and. and it's, I think that, you know, I'd love to, to talk more and think more and dive more into this. Um, but I think that there might be something really fruitful there to evaluate how Donatism has influenced, has, has you know, exerted influence beyond itself in a way mm. where very few people are going to probably read Donatism's thought and be like, oh yeah, that's me. I believe in that. However, we look at like what you were reading from from Huss and Wycliffe, um, and it's worth questioning. It's worth questioning where some of those ideas come from, right? And I'm not saying that we we ought to reject the Reformation because we reject Donatism. I'm, I, I do, it's not the same thing. Um, there are there are key theological differences and as well as historical differences, but. What I do think is is true is it's worth it's worth thinking about it's worth evaluating and, and maybe maybe the best way to put it is to just be aware of maybe and to be conscious of like particularly in a time where the church is very divided along denominational lines and it's easy to sort of silo ourselves into our own little camps. Um, whether whether that camp is evangelical or you know uh, more specific than that, or you know it's Protestant or it's uh, mainline or it's Lutheran or it's Anglican or it's you know whatever it is, um, and in doing so reject other parts of the body of Christ, right? Which which I, I think we kind hopefully it was clear like I think we kind of got at earlier that's that's a really like one of the big consequences of donatism is this rejection of of because because i don't think we we're in a position to make that call right right um right. you know and and you know someone's going to come back at me with some specific example where it's just really clear that someone is not you know living a life or or expositing doctrine consistent with the word of god and obviously you don't you don't admit that person to full ecclesial fellowship but that's not what donatism is <laughs> you know that's there there and this is where this is where what feels and seems in my head like a very easy thing to parse out donatism starts to get less easy to parse out and um does 
like you said at the beginning, it does start to feel a little bit more complex than I think it seems at first. Yeah, agreed. Um, and 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 especially when when we do when we when we do expand the conversation beyond Donatism proper, and more we kind of look at, you know, what we might call semi-Donatism, and 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 even just the more Donatistic, you know, separatist tendencies that we all have from those believers who think differently than us. And especially those believers who think differently differently than us on big issues, maybe, maybe not central issues like the Trinity. That's obvious, you know, that's definitional for Christianity. But big issues that are that are maybe not definitional, but are but are not so tertiary that that they don't impact worship and ministry together, right? Um, and I I think you know as we're talking, I think that this might actually this might be worth a, a further conversation um into some of those implications but but i but all that to say i i i'm i think i'm on the same page as you just in terms of like um it it's it doesn't go away after augustine and and his time it doesn't mean that everyone who is ever separated from another christian is a donatist and therefore a heretic um because there are legitimate reasons, sadly and tragically, mm. to split sometimes. Yeah, there have been, and and there will be, because we live in a fallen world, and we're all fallen people. Even though we're redeemed, we are still fallen. So, what when those things come up, we ought we ought to we ought to be very cautious, <laughs> because if there needs to be a divide in the visible church it better not be because we're letting sin get in our way and rending Christ's, you know, unbroken seamless garment of, of, of his church for no reason. Right. Um, and obviously on either side of a split, everyone's going to be like, well, we're right and you're wrong. So you're here, you know, and th- and that's where we start getting into more case by case things, trying to evaluate, but you know, what, our conscience leads us to, but all that to say, um, it's a heavy remembering Donatism is, I think, a good way to re- recognize some of the weight of some of the things that have been, that, that that's gone on in in history in the church, and um, not not to not be hasty. Right, I think. right. I think that being being rash, being hasty, being uh, quick to think that we have the answers is a good way to run into problems. Mm. Um, and this is, this is perhaps a, an example of, of that where we were quick to de-church others um, when Christ wouldn't have us do so. Right. Uh, but. Mm. Well, what I'm yeah. hearing is that so far we're two weeks into heresy month and we already have two more follow-up episodes that need to be explored. Cause if you remember on Friday, I brought up like, Will, will, will people that will, were labeled as heretics be with us in glory? Like how, how, I don't, we'll, 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 that's again, we'll get into that another time, I think, but it's, it's cool to see, like we, for the listeners who want like a peek behind the curtain, we don't, when we do our like individual preparation, we sort of like come together and it like somehow always just like blends really well together. And as we converse, as we do our back and forth, like other ideas come to our mind that didn't come to mind as we were preparing because we weren't having the interaction and the back and forth. So like, I'm really excited to 
um, maybe we should write these down so that we don't forget, but to yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> make sure to, to revisit some of these conversations because they are fascinating. But I don't know. I feel like that's a good place to, to land the yeah. plane. Um, so we'll say thank you uh, for listening to this episode of the Doxology podcast. Uh, let us know, are, are you enjoying Heresy Month? Is it something that you uh, want to have us continue doing, uh, you know, every October, maybe somewhat more frequently? Uh, but uh, if you want to let us know, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You're also welcome to email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us your feedback, send us your questions, and and send us your episode ideas because we have yet to pick a fourth heresy for our final week. And it's something that I thought would be fun to do is open the floor to you guys. What heresies do you want to learn about? Uh, so let us know. What heresy do you want to hear more about? Uh, if we pick your heresy, we will give you a shout out and send you a free Doxology podcast pin. Uh, so make sure to do that. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, quick shout out to Richie for the revamped intro, outro. We love our spookified uh, theme song here, and we hope you do too. Uh, but until Friday, we'll see you. Peace.